0: Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. All right. Good day, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Calmly Considered here on Faith Seeking Understanding. I am Alan Bevere, and I am a pastor, retired professor, Bible moth, theologian in exile, and peddler of hope. And I am the self-appointed Anselm of Canterbury, Chair of Podcast Theology and Culture, face seeking understanding university, a completely made-up university, but where all are invited to ponder profound things free of charge. And my conversation partner, as always, is the incomparable, and he has the fingerprints to prove it, Michael Cruz, who is the Grand Puba Chair here of, um, of Economics and Public Theology. And right. um, Michael, good to see you. How you doing? you're very good, Alan. Happy good. holidays. Happy holidays. We're coming to the end here pretty quickly, and yeah, so, we are. Yeah, and that's part of the topic of our conversation today. We're going to review 2022 for a little while, and then we're going to talk about. Oh, we'll prognosticate for 2023, and uh maybe we can revisit that maybe next year and see all the places where we were wrong. um but it's fun to, it's fun to do that. So right, anyway, right, yeah. yeah, 2022, you know, I got to tell you, 2022, I was thinking the other day that it just didn't seem all that long ago that we were wondering at this time of the year in 1999 about Y2K. Yes, right. Yeah. Right, 20, right. years ago. And man, boy, has time just <laughs> zipped by, hasn't it? That's right. I mean, wow. And children uh, you, have been born
1: and gone through college by now. Yeah, no kidding. No, absolutely
0: no kidding. And had no clue about Y2K or anything else. It's just, right. it's yep. interesting how, you know, the old adage, I tell people, the old adage, time flies when you're having fun, must be true because I've been having fun. So, That's so right. it seems like 60 years has gone pretty quick. Anyway. Uh, so, but here we are at the end of 2022. So, let's have some conversation about that. I want to start. I'd like to start briefly. You know, every year we, at the end of this time, we all remember and the new shows uh, put on all the people, famous people we've lost in 2022. I don't yeah. want to spend a lot of time on that, but right. I thought maybe you and I could talk about at least one person important to us that we lost that that made an impact. So I, I wanted to start and talk about, you know, of course, we, we, we lost some good biblical scholars and theologians this year, but I wanted to highlight uh, Ed Sanders, E.P. Sanders. Who died, who died, and I, you know, uh his he wrote many books, but uh you know, the book that changed the conversation on Paul in the late 70s was his book, Paul and Palestinian Judaism. And I remember when I was a young seminarian, uh did hadn't read the book in its entirety, but I I poked in it because you know you had papers to do for class, and so I did poke through it and and read certain sections, but then when I uh, started my PhD and I was working in Paul. I knew immediately that I would have to read Sanders and read, right. his, I don't know, 500 page book or whatever it was. I can't remember what it was, but he really changed the direction of Pauline studies. And, yeah. you know, people who haven't read Sanders, but have read, uh, you know, my my doctoral advisor, Jimmy Dunn or Tom Wright right. or, right. Jimmy, or uh, um, Richard Hayes and others. Uh, these are all people that were writing while looking in the rearview mirror and seeing Ed Sanders, right? Right, exactly. So, so he's quite—he was quite the formidable figure as far as Pauline studies, and uh, just uh, wanted to mention that—that that, uh, it's too bad to uh, um, see him come to his time. You know, when I was in seminary, you know, doing working on my masters degrees in my 20s and then working on my doctorate in my early 30s a lot of the scholars that i was cutting my teeth on who were in their 40s 50s and 60s they're all starting to pass from the scene now yeah yeah that's <laughs> so, right. yeah uh so just it just is kind of sobering although thank god there's good scholars now that are coming up right. and that are making their mark but it just is a reminder Of uh, again, that life just, time just moves on. So anyway, so Ed Sanders, that's who I wanted to lift up. Do you have anybody uh, we need to mention? I
1: can't think of, I hadn't really thought in that line in terms of people who passed this year and nothing, nothing is immediately popping into my head. It's interesting you bring up Sanders. I think I first, uh, my first exposure to some of the Pauline stuff was probably through Wright, N.T. Wright and his writing. And it was through him reading his footnotes and and learning more about that whole thing that then took me back to Sanders to read some of Sanders. So, yeah, uh, that, and you could, you can really see the, uh, the brilliance of, uh, of a mind that was, uh, really putting things together and, in, in a helpful way that people had not seen before. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He made, he quite made an impact. Didn't, didn't make a lot of the Lutherans happy. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, anyway. So, right. all right, well, so let's, um. so, I, you know, let's just kind of have at 2022 with some things. So I, I think, it, I think to start the conversation, I think we've got to recognize uh, the significance of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Yes, right. Um, I remember before that happened, you and I having conversation about the economy and you had made right. some- predictions uh about inflation and other things that you know was going to settle down and then and then putin invaded ukraine and that really made a difference didn't it it made it several different ways you want to you want to comment on that for a little bit well i mean yes obviously that was the big thing
1: we're coming out of COVID, supply chains were disrupted and the natural thing of the economy heating back up after you open the economy back up was going to cause inflation that was all pretty much baked in i think there were a couple i think there's probably least three things involved with that. One is just sorting out the supply chains, which you just mentioned, that issue. I think there was also the uh, responsibility of the Federal Reserve Bank in terms of managing interest rates. Yeah, And most the economists that I know, that I respect, that I read a lot of, suggest that the Federal Reserve was slow to, to react. And so that may have exacerbated things a little bit. But certainly the big uh, shock to the system was what happened with uh, the uh, with Russia and, and Ukraine, and that has directed uh, disrupted energy and supply chains and all that type of thing, which is, has not helped inflation. I will say though that inflation has been coming down, even in the midst of this, inflation has been coming down. It is improving. The Fed keeps tightening the rates. Uh, they talk about back in the early nineteen eighties, you know, when we had the recession after nineteen eighty, that uh, they what many looking back at that, many economists praised the Fed at that point for having done what they did was said they were just relentless in trying to get inflation stopped. Mm-hmm. And they were willing to suffer uh, a significant recession in order to get that under control. And a lot of them look back and say that, that was probably the right thing to do. And that's probably what needs to happen here is that even even if it risks a recession, although I'm not sure it will be a significant recession, they getting the uh, inflation back down to that certainly under three percent hopefully around two percent is uh, yeah. i think what they're aiming for but the the russia thing um yeah i mean it's it's been disruptive, but we we're still are seeing some improvement i think it's still again barring another major upheaval of some kind like that i still think by the middle of next year into next year you're probably down to inflation like three percent or something like that it's getting that's still a little above what we have experienced most of recent years but it's uh a much more tolerable, manageable rate.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that brings up two thoughts, as you mentioned it. The first is uh, markets just adjust, don't they, over time? Yeah, right. I mean, they do. I mean, we can talk about, you know, markets adjust. So, you know, we get all, I mean, you know, it's not like, but I can remember when gas went up. I remember when gas went up over a dollar a gallon, right? Right. I mean, I do remember that. And, you know, we're all complaining and every blah, 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 blah. Understandable. It's understandable. and uh but then we adjust you know and then it goes up we get high it goes up to 170 and you know we go No, we adjust the markets do the same thing people people you know the people involved in generating wealth want to make money and and uh you know everybody else wants to be able to benefit so we just learn how to figure this out over time don't we
1: yeah exactly
0: you know
1: just as a funny little footnote i was watching uh saw so Home Alone, I think it was Home Alone that I was watching, and in <laughs> yes. the, in, in just in a, in a brief uh, picture, there's a picture of a gasoline station It had the price of gas up on the sign, it was like 75 cents, yeah. and I figured that in today's dollars, that would be $2 a gallon, yeah. so, you know, gasoline. Yeah. So that's
0: higher. about where we are, It's about it's where we not, are, it's where yeah, it is, yeah, a little bit yeah, more, but That's interesting, it's
1: yeah. So, um, it's, it's not like the gas prices are totally you know outside the realm of, no. of past experience and inflation is high and, and they don't want to minimize the the suffering that the, the challenges that it presents for people but it is it is not um the, the system will adjust and yeah. i i don't think this is outside uh, what we've experienced in the past we just yeah. wish it would happen quicker
0: and, and the r- yeah. war with
1: russia is not helping It's tough. It's
0: tough in the short term. I mean, when you try to, you know, we we can talk big picture and that's and that's that's important. But then, you know, if you're a if you're a if you're a family trying to put food on a table, small, small comfort. Right. Because right now is when you're feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that you said that made me think about it again is that the economy is a trade off. You talked about uh, back in the 70s, the Fed's fighting uh, inflation, willing to allow for a recession to happen. Uh, And it's just almost that, you know, there's always the good news and bad news in the economy. So, you know, so when inflation uh, and and I can you know, I remember uh, as a young, young guy reading and just cutting my teeth on economics. I remember George Will arguing, conservative George Will arguing that (laughs) inflation uh, was uh, essentially uh, a tax on the poor. And yeah. that when we talked about uh taxes and who should pay or who shouldn't, that if we let inflation get out of hand, the people who will suffer the most are the people who can least afford it. Right. And and yeah, so, that's right. you know, so to keep at that and keep that down is an important thing. Right. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Very good. So and and the other thing is. So I, I read an article the other day that said, and I should have, I should have uh, written it down, I don't remember who wrote it, but basically, yeah, the article, speaking of Putin in Ukraine, the article was, it's been a bad year for authoritarians. Yeah, um, right. Now, in some ways, I do agree with that. Uh, Putin's war is not going well. Uh, we had our last election, and all of our authoritarian candidates, Donald Trump, for example, Right. lost, lost because a lot of their endorsements, a lot of people they recommended, you know, and right. and all of the people who were more election deniers didn't win, although a lot of those elections were close. Right. There was a bad year for authoritarians. I'm inclined to agree with that, but I can't say that I'm still yet completely comforted, Michael. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. But There's also in Brazil, the, the
1: yeah. right-wing candidate in Brazil lost the election there uh, to yeah. left-wing candidate. You also have the rising protest in Iran against yeah. the authoritarians there. And um, you have China has has been, is had some of the biggest protests it's had in 30 years. So, I mean, there, there are signs that uh, there is a desire for democracy, but I, I agree with you. I think that uh, we may have at least halted or slightly turned a corner against some of this authoritarian stuff, but it's not over and it's not gonna be over for the rest of your life and my life. Yeah. Um, it's uh, I, because the world is continuing to change, and as long as people feel like they're losing their grip on society and culture, the people that have been in dominant positions in those societies, as long as they feel like they're losing that, authoritarianism is always going to be an attractive alternative to try to 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 yeah. stem that, that loss.
0: Yeah, and, which, which will be covered all in the name of freedom, right? Exactly. So, So, I mean, nobody says, I'm an authoritarian, and nobody says, I want to vote for authoritarian. But right. they're able to use cover language to justify it in the name of freedom and, and right. that kind of thing. I always like to tell the story, Michael, when you when you talked about this and the attractiveness to authoritarianism when things aren't going the way you want, is that uh, uh, Robert McNamara, who was who was John F. Kennedy's uh, Secretary of Defense, right uh, <laughs> back in the '60s, they had a conference They were having a the cabinet was having a conversation one day apparently about. How to work on encouraging democracy in the Southern Hemisphere? You know, what can we do? And McNamara's point is, he says, well, basically, if you want to encourage democracy, you need to free up the economies because, because if people have to choose between a little more freedom and a brand new car, they probably would take the car. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, so what you want to do is is free up the economy, and then they'll desire more democracy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. So the old adage, it. we vote our pocketbooks tends to be true, isn't it? Yeah, there is some truth to that. Yeah. 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 So what strikes you about 2022 that was important?
1: Well, I think there are a number of things. Those are sort of, to me, relatively shorter term considerations. What's going to happen with inflation? That will change within months. Uh, you know, the, the war may drag on for a little bit. I'm, I'm a little concerned about the staying power of Europe and the united states how how long and how much are they going to stay invested i think it's important that ukraine does regain its territory and, and its sovereignty and and becomes a sovereign nation and i i still have questions about how committed we are to that the other side is we don't know um we don't know how russia how, how this ends i yeah. i i don't see a clear ending to this as to how you you get this even if putin were to somehow leave power were replaced. That doesn't necessarily mean he'd be replaced by somebody who's any less, you know, <laughs> uh, to the extreme than he is. Um, but based on their the people that are in leadership in Russia, so I think that's a big question mark on the future in terms of geopolitical stuff. But I think the I think the other side of this this is the part as we've been thinking about this topic since we talked about making this our our theme was it still. If we look at the continuous process, which is the stuff we never see because the the news always talks about the negative stuff, the thing of the moment, the big item of of what happened today versus seeing things in longer trajectories and seeing the stuff that's progressively happening over time that we don't see daily indications of but continues to improve. And I think about things like um, the mRNA uh, vaccine that that was developed for covid and its application to all sorts of uh, viruses and even cancer. Uh, the pharmaceutical companies are very, feeling very optimistic about being able to make major, and already are. I mean, test, are, uh, test results from, from some of these things are showing remarkable abilities to defeat various types of diseases. Um, we talk about, uh, I mean, still the increasing, the, the improvement in child uh, survival. Uh, child mortality is is still falling all around the world. Um, There are minor setbacks here and there in places around the world, but the the overall quality of life for people continues to improve around the world. I think about things like, it seems right now, it may seem just like just a footnote, but the, um, the news about fusion, the, about Mm -hmm. uh, the nuclear fusion test, We're not going to see anything practically from that for years. It may not be significant in years of my lifetime. I suspect by the time our children, certainly our grandchildren, um, in their lifetimes, I mean, we talk about what happened with the internal combustion engine. If you can harness fusion energy, uh, we we are talking about something that dwarfs whatever happened with the internal combustion engine in terms of of cheap, um, non-polluting, non-carbon-causing energy production. And uh, that that would just be such a game changer across the world in terms of improving people's well being and their their livelihoods. Uh, I think of things like the the James Webb Space Telescope, yeah, being able to see deep space and what we're we're learning about life and science. There's, I guess, my basic point is there is so much good that is happening, so many interesting things. I I keep telling people occasionally, you know, I'm I'm approaching sixty five, and I said I've got you know maybe a couple decades if I'm lucky you know left uh, based on uh, life expectancy tables I said my biggest frustration and and disappointment is I'm not going to get live live long enough to see all this stuff yeah (laughs) yeah yeah isn't it great so
0: all this stuff is coming about I'm just going to miss it you know it's great Um, you you and I get to see things our grandparents didn't get to see but our grandchildren will get to see things we won't and yeah yeah. And, and you are right. I actually had the James Webb telescope on my on my list uh, to talk yeah. about. But there have been. Yeah. And and, um, you know, one of the things. Uh, I mean, I I guess one of the things if I, I give p- give advice for people in a new year, we'll get to that in a little bit. Right. Is just watch less news. Yes. And particularly <laughs> don't watch the evening talking heads. Yes. I And I don't care what cable news channel you're talking about. okay name them all doesn't matter because if you really want to get a jaded understanding of reality and be be depressed and always be angry first of all right because basically the talking heads on the evening cable news shows are peddlers of outrage their task is to gin up their base and make them angry so they'll come back for more anger the next night right you know if you really want to bring yourself some wholeness you know, get the headlines, be informed, but just leave it alone and focus on some of this other stuff. The, the just amazing things that are happening. I, epidemiology, you know, you know, um, vaccine science is like one of the greatest things since sliced bread, because just think of the, just think of the diseases we have virtually eliminated. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I just, I sometimes want to pull my hair out at these anti-vaxxers because they do not understand (laughs) Yeah. You know, the what what the way this works and or they don't want to understand. I mean, it's it's amazing right. to me. Right. As as to, uh, you know, I mean, I've had my flu shot. I had my covid booster. I got my uh, I got something else. I don't remember. I've had my shingles vaccine. I got <laughs> the shingles. I mean, if it's a vaccine, I get it. And yep. and and uh, I just think it's been amazing. I don't think we have I don't think you know, I think sometimes the problem is it's like the fish in the fishbowl doesn't realize right. the, how great the water is, you right. know, I, we we live in this time and we don't realize how great it is, you know, with yeah, the problems it. we have and we got problems, Yeah. but how great it is to live in a day when you don't have to worry about smallpox, for example. Yeah, right. Um. It's just been, you know, there were and measles, Um. Right. Uh, even though we had about 20 cases in Ohio recently, because again, of parents not getting their children vaccinated, um, right? But uh, it's just an amazing thing, and you're right to highlight that. And we need to make we need to make sure about that. The other thing is in reference to Europe and mm-hmm. talking about NATO and the Europe alliance. I mean, I I really am one of these guys who believes that the NATO alliance has also been a great thing. I think. Yes. Yeah. I think after the Second World War, after it was over, you know, tip your hat off to the United States for having the vision to say, you know, the Marshall Plan. To say, you know what, Uh, we didn't start this, but we need to rebuild Europe. It's in our best interest to rebuild Europe. It's in our best interest to forge those alliances. Um, I mean, that was a real game changer. Yeah. You know, what would the world be like today had we decided not to do that? If we had been isolationist and said, you know what, that whole thing is their problem. We're going to let them sort it out. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's just and the whole NATO alliance has been great. And I do worry a little bit about it. Now, I do want to say I almost hate to say this because I have to give some credit to Donald Trump here, which is really tough for me. But I do think he was right in bringing bringing out that European nations need to pay their fair share of this alliance. Right. They have not done so. And I don't think the answer is is to just get rid of it, because I think I think that that would be worse. But right. I do want to say to our European neighbors, you know, we've come to your aid, and we're glad to come to your aid because we're all in this together. But yeah. you got to pony up as to what, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever the formula is, something of GDP right. or whatever it is, you got to pony right. up on this. And I really wish they would do that. I, I I'm yeah. a little frustrated that they that they don't see that as a serious thing. Or many of yeah. them. I don't want to accuse yeah. all of them of that. Sure,
1: varies, I think there's a natural human process that develops here. And going back yeah. to the technology story for just a second. If we if we were to get suddenly get fusion uh, energy, and, and we got it, say, 10 years from now, within 25 years after getting that fusion energy, you would have people already that would have forgotten what a tremendous leap it was to get fusion energy, and fusion energy would just be a part of, of what we That's do every day, cool. and then be on to the next thing about yeah. what's terrible with the world and you know what's wrong. so no matter what advancement you make there's a tendency that once it becomes ingrained and it's there it loses all of its sense of awe or sense of what an accomplishment that it was i think the same is true with political freedom yeah. i think we don't appreciate what a relatively novel and new thing the level of political freedom and structured up institutions that creates flourishing in societies. I don't think that we have an appreciation of that. Um, appreciation of how new that is in human history. Yeah. And so I think that what happens is, is that you have Europe and you haven't had a significant war, significant tensions in Europe for 30 years. And you have a whole generation that's drunk, that's grown up without seeing that. And then you begin to get this perspective that we really don't have to invest anything in keeping this thing going. And the only way that democracy and freedom continue is that you have to keep consciously focusing on its creation. New threats, new um, ideologies emerge that attempt to try to supplant that kind of freedom to, to destroy things. I think that's the you'd see people like Putin and some other autocrats who have no love for each other aren't necessarily mm-hmm. interested in helping each other's ambitions in terms of what they're trying to accomplish in their own countries. But what they do have in common is a um, they see world orders in, in terms of her, groups like NATO, uh, the unity of nations that are for democracy. That is a threat to them in each of their individual projects. And so they tend to be united about trying to undercut and destroy systems of accountability both in their country and internationally. And yeah. so I think that that is what we will continue to see. And there needs to be a movement, an international movement that I think has a clear vision that that cannot be allowed to happen. That, that yeah. uh, democracy, freedom, liberal society is is the way forward with all of its imperfections and all the issues we need to keep working on. How do we improve and how can we make it more just? But it is certainly far preferable to all the other uh, options, certainly sure. the authoritarianism. Of these, yeah. of these leaders. So I, I guess that's kind of where I'm, I I think about uh, some of these issues. And NATO, I think you're probably right, probably got complacent, probably got, um, you know, we're past the era where anybody would ever try to do something like Putin did, and then wham, uh, suddenly we realized democracy is more fragile than
0: we thought. So, yeah, yeah, uh, and that there are, all, and wherever there's always power and money and ambition, there will always be people wanting to take advantage of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, the Bible, um, one thing that strikes me about the Bible is that when when the, the God's people are warned not to forget God or the covenant, it's when things are good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, it's never when yeah. things are rotten. Oh, uh, yeah. W- uh, we tend to think, well, people don't believe in God or they reject God when things are bad. And that's true. But there are yeah. m- more people become complacent sure. uh, and forget, you know, and uh, one of the things one of the things that uh I have felt for a while is that the current decline of the church in America, among other reasons is that we've become uh, a a victim of our own success. And so the people, people are just, uh, you know, complacent about it. And, uh, so yeah, it is, it is something to keep in mind. Um, one thing right there. I I remember
1: hearing one time, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the woman, uh, It'll come to me in a minute, hopefully. Maybe, but they, they, looking at survey data over um, what ha- what's happened with denominations, this was particularly focused on mainline denominations because I was part of Presbyterian Church USA. It was a PCUSA crowd that she was talking to. But one of the things I thought was interesting, she pointed out, you know, you go back 100, 150 years ago, it was churches and then later sort of parachurch organizations that were the ones that were the development for all of these various uh outreaches to people home for with mothers uh, soup kitchens mm-hmm. um recover you know what do you call it to uh, support groups for various people going through various types of things so churches tended to be the ones who birthed all of these things and then what happened is they they became birthed and became widely disseminated throughout society they sort of ceased it to, to then be connected with explicitly religious institutions yeah. and sometimes either government or or non-religious entities sort of incorporated that into how society works and part of the problem that that's should say problem um i want to say this one of the challenges that has i think developed for the church is as quality has a life has improved in so many different ways what is the role of the church in terms of how it's supposed to engage the world right i mean basically when you successfully created all these institutions and organizations that effectively address some of the worst problems that ever existed for humanity. Once that has done and that's become part of the norm of what society is, well, what's our role now? And I, it just feels to me, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I I sort of feel like the church is looking for what is our response to this world today? This is, this is who we were. This was so much a part of our identity, how we did this. Mm -hmm. And now we're looking forward and saying, um, (laughs) OK, <laughs> what, what's our relevance to anybody?
0: I do think that right. I do think that's happening. I also think that you have got and again, I don't know how to say this, but you've got a generation of older persons for whom the church was different when they were young. And right now, they're number one. Con- I mean, and I can tell you because I've talked to people about this. This is not true of right. everybody. I want to be careful. Right. Here. right. Because I think there are a lot of older folks who would like to see they're concerned. But I think for a lot of people, too, it, it's just I want to make sure my church is open when when I die, because I want to have a yep. funeral here. I want know. them to bury me. Yeah. And and that's not exactly a missional perspective. Um, that's right. But at the same time, you know, again, you've got younger fe- people who are uh, sort of in the same boat. And it's, it's really hard. I mean, the younger generation, too. The other thing is the, some of the shifts on beliefs about certain issues and other things. The younger generation yes. just doesn't they have concerns that, uh, let's be honest, that we boomers didn't when we were right. in the heyday. Um, <laughs> yes, like somebody said to me the other day uh, about, um, uh, you know, dissing organ music and other kinds of traditional music. And I said, you're a boomer. I said, <laughs> you are from the boomer generation. The fact is, these younger people that I know, it's not that they have rejected a more contemporary christian sound it's just that they're now more open to traditional expressions of worship because they feel like they grew up in a world that was unmoored including including christianity in which you get like a lot of independent protestant churches where worship is you know 12 12 songs about me and jesus and therapy you know and an inspirational sermon telling you to you know be productive or how to make it through your day and and these these younger folks feel like there's something greater that they have and so they're more open to traditional expressions uh and so you know so the boomers as we get older we complain but you know whatever
1: so we're fighting
0: Shock boomers out. complaining yeah right. boomers are compl- I always always said that that you could always tell a boomer is when when you ask people to rate people from different generations to raise their hand and yeah, yeah. you ask you ask boomers to raise their hand they go yeah i'm a boomer you want to make something of it <laughs> yeah right <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh my goodness well let's uh, let's go back a little bit to science because the james okay. Webb the james hubble telescope i mean the science have just amazed me. And, and you know, the, the thing that amazed, two things that amazed me. The first always is, is that when you look at these kinds of pictures, you you realize you're seeing a tiny slice of the entire universe, really yes. infinitesimally, infinitesimal right. size, right? If yeah. it was a piece of pie, you wouldn't even be able to find it, right? Yeah, right, yeah. But not only that, you're seeing the universe as it was.
1: That if yeah. somehow
0: you yeah. could now turn a camera back on that same spot and get an instant picture it would be vastly different. Yeah. It just, it yeah. just, it just blows my mind.
1: Yeah. I, I. What's what's the Doctor Doctor Who thing? It's a wibbly wobbly tiny whiny thing, you know. Yeah. It's a, just uh, It yeah. just. I, I look at it and just uh, that is literally in the truest sense of the word awe-inspiring. Yeah. I mean, it, it, just the awe of how massive and uh, incomprehensible. The, the universe is and that i think in certain in, in that sense i think it's the pictures that we've been able to see with that telescope to me just increase my sense of awe and mystery and wonder yeah. about about the world i don't understand all the science that they're able to determine from from what they're seeing through that that's interesting as well too obviously yeah. that's the main reason for them putting it there but just the the also the spiritual experience that is evoked by looking at those images is just yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah. 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 And it it uh, you know, again, it's also a reminder that, and i I think it's good because I think we're hopefully finally getting past the modernist idea or the enlightenment idea that really uh undermines any sense of mystery. That yeah. what whatever, what, what the only thing that's important is what we can know. Right. And of course, Christianity in its best form has never in fact, Christianity in its best form has always started out with mystery. We, we don't yeah. deny we need to talk about the mystery, but we acknowledge right. that it's mystery. And yeah. and there's a lot of uh, kind of interesting things taking place that re- in, in the world of science that are reinforcing to me that connection between what we know and the mysterious, uh, you know, I've been reading a lot of late on neuroscience, you know, and again, I like, like, uh, astronomy, uh, uh, I read it. I, I, there's a lot of it. I don't <laughs> quite get, but I read it because right. it's interesting to me. And just what now, what we're learning, uh, I've been reading on the senses. you know, and, and neurobiologists are saying, you know, we got five senses. No, we don't, we got more than that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and they talk about these folks who are, they're rare, But, you know, they they were uh, interviewing a guy that they have done tests on who basically uh, hears color. He hears. Uh, I mean, I seriously, he hears color. Right. (laughs) I mean, I used to like to say that when I drink too much caffeine, I see noises. Well, (laughs) there are people who see noises. And and so I mean, and and again, I can't explain all of this stuff. But what they're saying is, is that our bodies, our brains are interconnected with reality right in a way that we just can no longer separate that with the old separation between me and the reality around me is just not possible right. yeah and so i i i watch this stuff and i listen to this stuff and it just absolutely astounds me and i begin to think to myself my gosh you know when those ancient folks uh uh those ancient theologians talked about mystery. They sure didn't know things we know now, but my gosh, they were onto something, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, there's a a book. Uh, I think it's called "How Not to Speak of God."
1: I think you're yeah. wrong. I don't know if you've read that little book. I I, I just love his uh, his point that what we read in scripture and what we know through the tradition is it maybe a revelation from God. It tells us aspects and, and gives us little tiny windows into aspects of God. But when we go on to try to limit God to what we have seen in just that little revelation, yeah. we are speaking beyond what we know. Yeah. And, and God is so much vastly more complex. You know, he talks about the, you can talk about infinity being, you know, there's numbers going from zero to, to whatever, But if you talk about in between any two numbers, in between one and two, there are also an infinite set of numbers in between one and two. So one and two can set a boundary, but in between that, there is also an infinity. So we have some limits that God has given us to, to sort of give a sense of who God is. But even within those limits, there is such a vastness and mystery with even with what we know of God, that we cannot fully comprehend who God is. And I think that that's, yeah. and you go back, this cycles back to what you are saying earlier about boomers and worship. We turned it into such a therapeutic, uh, how do I feel good this week type experience that what is lost in all that is just that grand sense of mystery, this this story that is just so yeah. far beyond that. And how do we express our awe and uh, how do we express our, our gratefulness uh, within yeah. that? Yeah,
0: I'm a big fan of apathetic theology, which talks about God in negative terms, meaning you don't say that God is omnipotent because who in God's green earth understands what it means to be omnipotent, right? And So when you start saying what omnipotent means, you get yourself in trouble real quick if you're talking about God. So what you said instead say God is not limited like we are. You right. Know, God is you don't say God is omniscient, all knowing. You say God is not ignorant like we are. And right. try to be real careful not to go into too much defining because as Saint Augustine warns us, that if you're not careful in talking about God, you could be talking about less than God. And then once you do that, you're committing idolatry. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so yeah. we need right. to be really yeah. Really careful uh, about that in reference to God. And you know, Jesus, you know, one of the things that I say to my students when I teach on Christology is that the conviction of the Christian faith is that Jesus reveals God decisively, not exhaustively. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus doesn't reveal every single thing there is to know about God. But what Jesus does is reveal God in a definitive way where we can't get that revelation anywhere else. And so I think maybe we're best to try to stick with talking about God as revealed to us in Jesus and leave everything else alone. Possibly. There you go. Right. <laughs> Just a thought. Just a thought. All yeah. right. Well, let's move on to what's coming up. Uh, yeah. 2023 is coming up. Michael, D. Yeah. So, so um you think Ron DeSantis will run for president?
1: Uh, probably. I suspect he will. Um, I, I think there could be other Republicans that, that will get into the mix. It's still a big question mark for me, what happens with uh, Trump and his most fervent supporters and how many of those supporters stay fervent supporters. I am thoroughly convinced he's not going away. Um, he will be here in 2024, whether he's running for president or not, he will be a voice and he will have uh, people that are behind him. And so no matter if, if he's not the, the uh, nominee, to to become president whoever is the nominee for the republican party is not only going to be fighting democrats they're going to be fighting donald trump in his base. is almost yeah i think what's certain to happen so it will be an interesting messy thing um uh, to see what happens i i have no predictions as to how all that yeah. plays out but i think we're witnessing the, the the slow meltdown of a of a political party and i don't know exactly how that's going to to manifest itself. I uh,
0: Michael I again I'll say this again I've said it in previous shows that we've done together I've been a swing voter all my life I have for president I probably voted more often for Republicans than Democrats yeah. I do not know what has happened to the Republican Party yeah it is just I you know I'm not I don't speak as some lefty liberal right yeah Right. I speak as someone who has voted for Republicans. Um, I just I just am mystified. I mean, I I mean, I know the reasons we can talk about it, but it's right. like There's still this shock yeah. value is what has happened to the grand old party? Yeah. You know? Right. It's astounding yeah. to me.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I don't know how this I don't know how this resolves itself. I, yeah, I don't I know. Don't have a crystal ball. I, I I, can't see exactly how how it ends up. So, yeah, I think that that that's going to be there. Um, i was I saw a graph sometime recently that showed uh, public opinion views on various of the hot button uh, culture yeah. war issues going back for the past twenty years. And every single one of them, whether you're talking about things like abortion, you're talking about same-sex marriage, uh, legalization of drugs, you know a whole a whole list of things, every one of them was trending away from the conservative viewpoint in terms yeah. of what most of these conservative Republicans believe. And yet, they are making the centerpiece of their their uh, political involvement all about wokeness and about you know fighting things like that will uh, limit climate change. You know that that's that's their yeah that's the
0: message that they want to put forward. Yeah, they and, really are becoming a seriously true minority party, aren't they? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And you know, there's I've 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 been one of those believers that the idea is that in a healthy democracy, you've got to have a vibrant conservatism. And a vibrant liberalism. It doesn't mean you have yes. to embrace them both. Right. But you we need to say that when you've got a healthy, vibrant conservatism and a healthy, vibrant liberalism, and you have people willing to have conversation across the aisle, that's right. democracy at its best, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And we just I, don't I, have I, that. And I, by I, the just, way, let me say, I'm not so sure there's, you know, liberals right now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. some people on the, on the, as I, I affectionately like to call the extremes, the loony left and the wacky right. There yeah. are people on the loony left that just, you know, I, I say to myself, because right now, see, the difference is, the difference is, is the wacky right has too much of a platform because of Donald yeah. Trump. The right. loony left yeah. doesn't have that kind of platform. Exactly. But, but if the loony left got that kind of platform, it would be the same stuff, except that. You know, it'd be different issues, I suppose, or different right. things. And they are there, and they are, and they are there, and platforms. they are there. So you, you always yeah. have the loons and the wackos. The thing is, the key is to marginalize them, and right. and and keep them out of out of significant power. <laughs> yes, right, yeah. right. That's the key. Right. And yeah. right now, and right now, the wacky right's got this platform with Trump, and that's and that's the problem, it seems to me. Yeah. yeah. So, do you think Biden runs again, or does he does he decide to bow out? I think
1: he'll run again. Yeah, and so do I. I I think the Democrat, I'm, I think I'm in a minority. I know I have friends that are pretty solid Democrats and at least then uh, coming up to the midterms and shortly thereafter, they were all like, oh, we can't have Biden running for president. We'll never, you know, win as, as president. So I, I still keep watching this and I, I think people continually underestimate him and, and, and they, I don't think they appreciate his, what do I say? the the way that he works with the government and the way that he works with people, his, his style of getting things done is very quiet. It's behind the scenes. It's very personal and relational. And it's not the big splash, the big public, the grand, you know, Rambo style. We're going to, you know, take this problem and, and fix it. That's what he does behind the scenes. And I think a lot of people who may, who are, uh, you know, in his camp in terms of the policy issues and even more liberal, I think continually underestimate how effective he is. I think he's I, been, I think he's been very effective. and I, I think he has understood where those swing voters and those independent voters, where they are and and yeah. and what speaks to them and and what's going to to motivate them to to vote for Democrats. so I, I think they if the I, I think you'd be a good candidate, for for the Democrats, if they they decide to run, I don't I can't think of anybody else in the Democratic Party right now that I would see as a as a good, solid contender against him. Yeah. The midterm elections, uh, whether I agree with all the stuff that he accomplished in in terms of each of the bills that got passed, he was very successful at, at, at passing very difficult, uh, complex bills that had lots of stuff that the opposition wouldn't want. Uh, I mean, he he was very, very adept at doing that. I'll be curious yeah. to see what happens, you know, when Republicans take control of the House and and how that plays out. But yeah, I think yeah. he'll run. And, and I,
0: yeah. I think he probably. Won. And let's make real clear what we're saying here, uh, because we've, we've got some listeners who yeah. are seething right now. We're not saying yeah. we're not necessarily saying we agree with everything President Biden has done. What yeah. we're saying is he's been effective at doing it.
1: Yeah, and he's accomplished.
0: You know, it's like Nancy Pelosi. There's no one who can say she was not. She's not been one of the most effective speakers in recent history. Right. It doesn't mean that you agree with everything she accomplished or what she did. But what you know, when it comes to fulfilling the job description for Speaker in the House, Speaker of the House, she did a good job. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the point. The point is, do they live up to the job description? And and Biden has whether whether and he's done some things that I disagree with. Certainly. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, uh, but, um, totally. you know, we need to say that. So I agree. I think, I think he, I think he runs. Um, so, uh, your, your, your perspective that, uh, uh, inflation is going to continue to come down in 2023.
1: I think so. I, I, I'll go out on a limb and say that I think by the end of next year, inflation will be 3% or less.
0: Okay. So. What about but, unemployment?
1: Unemployment? I don't expect we'll, will Spike in any particular big way. I don't know exactly what it will be. It may not be down to those historic lows of three, three and a half percent, but I suspect it would certainly be under, you know, five percent
0: by the end of the year, even what, with a recession. Why? Why is there a worker shortage with lower unemployment?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, worker. So, why is there a worker shortage with lower unemployment? I think the challenge is that you have people. You have to be unemployed. You have to be looking for a job. Right. Okay. So when they ask the questions about uh when I ask questions people for these surveys, if you're not looking for a job, you're not unemployed. There are people that are that are not working that are not unemployed, so to speak, because they're not looking for a job. As as the job market becomes more attractive in whatever way it becomes attractive to people, and that draws people to say, Hey, I would like to get a job, then they become part of the unemployed, even though the economy is growing. So you, you can have growing as well as the economy growing at the same time because you're pulling in more people who haven't worked in the past um i think the i think there's a number of reasons i uh, I'll, I'll just put cards on the table here i think one of the reasons we're having a challenge is our immigration policies yeah. I, I think that we do not have uh we have kept so many people out through covid uh times and then the. The unwillingness to allow people to immigrate here, or to create work visas for people to be able to come across the border, work for time, go back home—that kind of thing—I think that would definitely improve our our uh, issue with finding labor for jobs. Yeah. Um I think there's a number of complex things that are going on. It's going to take a while for it to sort out, but the economy—the the last couple years we had the economy collapsed, not because there was a collapse in demand, but because there was a, co- a collapse in supply. And I think that that that's a very unusual circumstance. And yeah. I think what you're seeing now is the economy trying to rebalance and readjust, and it will take, it's going to take a matter of years. I mean, not, not 20 years, but, you know, three or four years for that to eventually, I think, refine its footing uh, to be solid again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think the, from what I can tell, I don't think unemployment will be a major issue, uh, even if we have a recession. And based on what I read, if there is a recession. I don't think it will be a severe recession. Okay. So yeah, yeah. That's yeah my a, cou-
0: a couple of thoughts on that first. And, and again, this is anecdotal. So it's not But you know, people like to say, well, no one wants to work anymore. You know, it's like it's as if <laughs> like, I don't want to work anymore, but these people have to eat, you know, so seriously, right. I mean, come on, right. stop it, right? I right. know people, I, I mean, I've known some people who prior to COVID were two-income families. And, you know, uh, the wife ended up having to stay home. And uh, you know what? They said, you know what? Uh, we're getting by okay. Yeah, you right. Know? And so they said, you know, she said, I don't want to go back to work. So right. you know, you got people who just who just said, you know, we, we we thought we needed these two incomes, but we actually don't. When right. push came to shove, it would be nice to have the extra income. But we had to tighten our belts and it worked and we did it. Now I get more time with the kids and there's less stress and, you know, I mean, so I I think we need to be careful about coming up with one reason. Second thing in reference to immigration, one of the things now that I'm doing in my retirement is I've actually starting to get connected to the evangelical immigration table, which is concerned about immigrants and immigration and uh, writing for them and doing things like that. I'm hoping in 2023. Uh, to get to the border, because I'd like, because I want to yeah. need to see what's going on there. But there's no doubt immigrate, lack of immigration is a problem. And yes. I can tell you, for example, in Ohio, okay, mm-hmm. farmers need workers. Yes, they right. need need. And I'm, it's not just Ohio, but but right. I, I'm familiar with Ohio, they need workers and would love to hire some of these asylum seekers. So right. instead of certain governors in the south, sending yeah. asylum seekers to the vice president's house. What right. they really should do is call up the governor of Ohio, who's actually a Republican yeah. and say, I hear you've got some farmers that could use some labor. Right. Right. I mean, right. if they really want to help solve the problem, because yes, they the board, the border is strained. There's no doubt about it. There's right. no doubt that these towns are under strain. We, I get that. I don't deny that. Right. But they could really work to solve the problem, but of course, if they solve the problem, then how could they go out for re-election and tell their constituents, "You need to right. vote for me, because if, if you if I don't win, the Huns right. will invade." Right. Right. So exactly. one of the things that just just I hate about modern politics is that there are politicians who they're so focused on their re-election, they don't want to solve some of these problems. Right. They want to highlight them. They're, so you got to keep voting for me. Which right. just drives me up the wall. But this, but, but this, you're exactly right. Part of the labor shortage is due to the fact that our our immigrants who are here on visas, work visas, or whatever, are at an all time low.
1: You yeah,
0: know? that's right. what it is. So, yeah. anyway.
1: Without going too far down that rabbit hole, if we had a better developed uh, worker visa program that would be informed, we would have far less illegal immigration. Happening. Yes. If, if, yes. If it, uh, ironically, if you had a less, uh, if you had a little bit more porous border that was allowed freedom for people to move with these visas, you'd have less need for all the border control that you have, which means the border control you do have would be able to focus on those cases yep. that really are a problem. Exactly, exactly right. We have tried to shut the border down from all immigration from anywhere, everywhere, for any reason. But what it feels like. I'm exaggerating some, but it, it feels that way. It only exacerbates the problem because people aren't going to quit trying to come to America, no matter how much we close the borders and That's try to right. close. The so, um, yeah. so the yeah. the issue is is how can you you organize it in a way that maximizes um, you know everything, all, all the various concerns. But neither the Democrats or the Republicans have much of an incentive for for getting no, the, the no, result. and yeah, yeah I mean, we've been political we, football.
0: Yeah, we're, I mean, we're going after Republicans because right now they're the ones in charge, but Democrats really haven't come up with any. Uh, yeah. I mean, there is there, there have been plans for comprehensive immigration reform, but as yeah. you well remember during uh, George W. Bush's presidency, he tried to put that through because he understood that you needed sure. comprehensive immigration reform, and he couldn't get it through. Right. Uh, by not only people in his own party, but by some Democrats, right? Right, and because yes. the politics is always there, you know, we can't the Republicans, we can't do this; it's unpopular with our base. Democrats, we can't do this because we don't want to give a Republican president a victory. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. and and so it's just it, it's just maddening, maddening. Anyway, well, so, that's so I will it
1: predict we will not resolve the immigration problem next year. I predict we'll it as predict.
0: well, unfortunately, and <laughs> sadly, and sadly, yeah. human lives are are at stake on that. Right, yeah. and yeah. um. And so anyway, well, we won't solve that. Uh, anything yeah. else? Anything else about 2023 coming up you just think we should mention? I don't know
1: about specific issues along those lines. I will predict that generally human well-being will continue to improve in, in the world, that most of the developments that uh, affect our lives in terms of disease, in terms of uh, uh, people not being hungry, in terms of education, that if you look globally around the world, that mostly
0: what you're going to see is improvement. Yeah, uh, not not the world getting worse. It's yeah, getting good. good. Yeah. Uh, so, like I like we said, don't don't watch less news, right? Yeah. Um, that's what we need to do. Yeah. So uh, let's get on to the really big stuff for 2023. Who's going to win the yes. Super Bowl, Michael? Well, of course, the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, th- that's of a of conclusion.
1: But yes, right. No, I don't know. It'll be fun. It'll be interesting to see. I I have hopes for my Chiefs. They they continually give me heart attacks over and over again. They keep seeming, seeming to play at the level of whoever they're playing, plus the, but just a little bit better, just enough to beat them every day. Just not not enough to win. Yeah. But not enough to go in and really uh, go in and beat some of these teams. So, anyway, it'll be fun to watch. It's it's fun to see some of the new quarterbacks on some of the teams and, mm-hmm. and uh, seeing them emerge. We've particularly been um, – we've been sort of closet 49ers fans over the past three or four weeks because Brock Purdy – uh, is the quarterback for the 49ers. He's an Iowa State uh guy. My yeah. wife's an Iowa Stater. So yeah. we have to keep we don't watch the 49ers, we watch Brock Purdy. Yeah, that's
0: Yeah, I, I have to confess, even though I don't follow football uh anymore, at least at the moment, yeah. that I've been yeah. interested in watching Baker Mayfield, uh, who, yeah. uh had yeah. a pretty good game against the uh, with the uh, with the Chargers or I'm sorry, with the Rams. Rams, yeah. Uh, and his and uh yeah so anyway He's up okay. His yeah, and then yeah. baseball. Yeah, we keep
1: following the Royals' news every day. We still aren't seeing much in terms of big trades or getting the people yeah. on it. But we have a whole new uh, manager and and uh, and uh, coaches and so on. Uh, they they got rid of uh, Matheny, and so they yeah. they brought a whole new new team pitching coaches, batting coaches, yeah. everything. so. We're, and it does seem to be based on the personnel they had last year that that should have been a much better team than it was, and it makes you wonder if it isn't doesn't have something to do with the the management of the team, the leadership. Yeah. of the team. Yeah,
0: yeah, so. I I I have hopes for my guardians. I yeah. I, uh, I feel they good about them. Good. You know, I always say, I, you know, you never, I I don't I always say. You know, are are the Guardians going to win the World Series? I always say, just get to the playoffs. That's the first step. Because if, if yep. you just make the playoffs, then all bets are off, right? That's right. Yep. <laughs> I right, just, just get lucky for a few games. Just, yeah, <laughs> just get just make the playoffs, and then once you hit the playoffs, uh, then World Series is in view. So, right. but I'm I'm hoping that they'll be uh, contending this year uh, for right. that. You know, I know you followed from your social media. You followed the World Cup. I I have to yes. confess. I can't get into soccer. I have tried, yeah. right? And I just can't get into it. But you know, it's really neat to see the world kind of coming together in some small way, right? To right. watch because yeah. every all my Facebook friends all over the world, you know, they're posting right. on the World Cup. It's just great yeah. to see.
1: It is. It's fun, and I, I think that that's probably the most positive thing that sports does is gives people an ability to have community. And There's rivalries, yeah. but they're always yeah. it's it's a part of a friendly rivalry that, that, yeah. that makes it friendships yeah. fun. Um, yeah, yeah the, the World Cup, I, I think the first World Cup I paid attention to was back 1978. Argentina won that one, and yeah. I've watched them since. That final was one of the best games. I, I hear you get, um, actually, in terms of watching sports, I played soccer in college. Ah, okay. I, 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 it's, it is my favorite sport to play. Never all that great at it, but it was the favorite sport to play. It's not my most favorite for spectator. I, I enjoy mm-hmm. watching, but not as much as I do some other sports. But I think the challenge of soccer, for those who, who never played it and didn't grow up with it, is sort of the field and ground thing in terms of looking at, at uh, you know, a diagram uh, or a picture mm-hmm. where you see what's in the forefront or what's in the background. You, you, people are often focusing just watching the ball, where the ball is going. But the other side is, is where are the spaces and where are the people that are away from the ball and how are they moving and so on. And it, it, there's this dance that goes on for somebody who's really been involved in the game and has been a part of it all the year all their life i just think most people who've not been a part of that game that didn't play it that haven't watched it you know over the years it just doesn't quite it's just not as obvious to them what what's happening so it makes it less enjoyable and i perfectly understand that yeah but,
0: uh, it was fun i really yeah. enjoyed the international uh yeah that, that is that is cool that is really cool yeah. to witness that so anyway well michael so um this is uh we we'll probably bring this to a close and uh So friends, uh, we're glad that you have joined us. Glad that you have watched us or listened to us in 2022. And uh, we hope all of you have a wonderful new year and a blessed and productive, prosperous, calm, (laughs) serene (laughs) 2023. And uh, we'll be back in January So again, I'm with Michael Cruz, and I'm Alan Bevere, and this is Faith Seeking Understanding. And the patron saint of Faith Seeking Understanding University is Anselm of Canterbury, who said, I don't understand in order to believe, but I believe in order to understand. So friends, keep seeking. Peace to all.